on today's episode. What's interesting is there will be a couple who will say, we want children. We, we got married, been married for a year. We really want children now. And so they will try to have children, and they will try, and they will try. And obviously God is saying no. Okay. And then there's another couple who will say, you know, we weren't married. It was a one-night thing, and I got pregnant. What, what's, what's going on here? Is it just the action of people? There is one thing higher than the action of people, and that is the Creator, the one who says, I, I give you life. And, and sometimes that life comes in the most unfortunate of circumstance. But even in the most unfortunate of circumstance, a decision to terminate the life is usurping God's authority the same way as the guy who, who committed the rape usurped the authority. Welcome to the Life Challenges podcast from Christian Life Resources. People today face many opportunities and struggles when it comes to issues of life and death, marriage and family, health and science. We're here to bring a fresh biblical perspective to these issues and more. Join us now for Life Challenges. Hi, and welcome back. I'm Krista Potratz, and I'm here today with Pastors Bob Fleischman and Jeff Samuelson. And today we are going to talk about abortion and some of these different maybe clauses or phrases around exceptions. The ones that we're going to mention today are going to be rape and incest. And so maybe, Jeff, if you kind of just want to tell us a little bit and give us a little bit of the the context, what we're talking about when we're talking about rape and incest, and especially like with these exceptions to the the abortion argument. All right. Well, first, I'll just specify that this is hardly our favorite kind of topic to to discuss, and uh, it's uh, not not a pleasant thing. But how do we define these things? First of all, rape. I think if we wanted a more Christian approach to defining it, we, we'd call it the the violation of God's design for sex and marriage by coercing sexual intercourse. A more Normal uh, secular definition is uh, uh, it's defined as a crime. It's forcing another person to have sexual intercourse with the offender against the the victim's will, and that's the the basic idea. There is that there is some form of compulsion, and that it is against the the victim's will, and it, it involves sexual intercourse. That's kind of necessary to discuss, discuss this in this context. We're not talking about sexual assault per se, because in the abortion context, we're talking about something that produces a pregnancy, and and that would have to include uh, include intercourse. We can differentiate different situations. There's the the thing that scares parents uh, about their you know their their daughters going off to college about the, uh, the the violent attack you know in the middle of the night by a stranger. You know, there's that, and that's everyone what everyone kind of might think about. This is the worst thing. But then there's also what it's sometimes called date rape or acquaintance rape, and uh, they're the kind of situations where a a boss or an otherwise powerful person coerces. Uh, Something and it's still not involving, you know, it's it's not voluntary uh, on the on the, the usually the woman's part, but we still have to call all those things rape because it is uh, something that is being done against the will uh, of 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 the woman. Incest is 
not always going to be uh, forcible. It's not always going to be uh, against the will. Sometimes it can be consensual. That's uh, talking about, uh, you know, again, trying to put more of a Christian understanding. It's the violation of God's design uh, for sex, marriage, and the family by closely related family members having sexual relations with each other. And again, in this situation, um, because, you know, in, in the abortion discussion, we're talking about something that produces a pregnancy, uh, so it's it's going to involve actual intercourse. So when we talk about rape and incest, especially Christian type of atmosphere too, are there any biblical examples of rape and incest? It's uh, almost surprising that there's not more mention of either of them because these are you know, pretty heinous crimes, pretty ugly things. And uh, Bible is generally speaking, not shy about talking about sin, but there aren't that many examples. But then when you think about it, you don't need that many. It's bad enough. It doesn't need to fill the pages of scripture with it. Perhaps the most uh, obvious and uh, memorable, perhaps, uh, example of, of rape is in Genesis uh, 34. It's the story of Jacob's daughter, uh, Dinah. This uh, young prince of the city that uh, Jacob and his family are living near nearby becomes besotted with her. We think she probably, you know, had something like a crush on him, the way it's written. Um, but uh, he decided that, uh, yeah, he liked her and he took her. And it clearly was was a rape that was involved. And it's a disgusting story, not only because of what Shechem did to, to Dinah, but also because of how Jacob and his sons reacted to it. Uh, and we'll just say that the sons overreacted to it and uh, ended up basically killing all the men in the town, uh, town where it happened. So that's a, a you know definite example of rape, and then another one is one which also crosses over into incest, uh, which is in Second Samuel thirteen when we have the uh, ugly situation where one of David's sons, Amnon, decides he's really attracted to one of David's daughters, Tamar, different mothers, but you know they're 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 half brother, half sister, and uh, he through a ruse, gets her into his bedroom and and forces himself on her. And that is a very clearly called rape. And again, one of the disgusting things about this is not just what was done to Tamar, but how David does not respond appropriately to it and how it ends up uh, creating all sorts of problems, not just for David and his family, but for the entire kingdom as a result of that. Are there any examples of incest in the Bible but outside of the story of uh, David's family. There, there is one clear one, but it, it's not often not as helpful to us because it it doesn't seem to uh, address incest as as we might normally encounter it. Uh, and that's the story of Lot's daughters after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, um, and because uh, Lot's wife looks back and is turned to a pillar of salt. Lot and his two daughters are are living alone. They're kind of separated from you know all the rest of society and everything, and they the two daughters get it in their head that they, um, they'll never find a man, they'll never get married, never be able to have children. So they get their father drunk 
and in the night when he's drunk, they, they have intercourse with him, and they both manage to get pregnant and, and have sons as a result of that. That's not usually the way incest happens, um, but it, you know it does meet the definition of that, although we might say it's more just an example of the, just the twisted attitude towards sexuality and such that was probably a result from them having lived in Sodom for many years and absorbed many of the, the very wrong ideas uh, there about that. What we do have regarding incest is a long, long list in uh, Leviticus 18 and then also a bit in Leviticus 20 of various degrees of relationship where it is forbidden uh, to marry or to have sexual relations. And so it is, it is laid out quite explicitly there. That is not something God's people will do. So what can Christians then take away from these biblical mentions of rape and incest? When we start talking about rape and incest within the context of the abortion issue, we tend to focus on the, the rape and incest issue, which is not the issue for Christians. Christians are still always concerned about life and honoring God. And so when you have a case of rape or incest, the emotions get so stirred up that we seem to to live this illusion that if we if we can eliminate the child, that we lessen the burden on the the woman who's had to go through this horrible ordeal. I know that this point gets argued a lot, almost academically among politicians and so forth. The occasions I've had of women who have been victims of incest or who have been victims of rape is killing the unborn child didn't obliterate the memory of the experience. In fact, in some cases, not all of them, but in some cases, it made it worse because because it's so highly packed with emotion, we tend to make an emotional decision. And the emotional decision is to try to change everything around you that was associated with it. I, and I've had rape victims live with us. They, do, they don't want to ever go to that part of town. They don't like to ride in that kind of car. They don't want to be around those kind of people. In other words, they truly want to be isolated from the whole thing, and you can't. So what happens is that they kind of get preyed upon a little bit with the idea that, but if you if you could kill the child, this will make it better. And they'll say, well, you know, of course the man doesn't have to carry it, so it's really not his burden. But see, my my argument would be, why don't we stiffen the penalty on the man? Why don't we stiffen the penalty on the perpetrator so that this kind of thing doesn't happen? So it works as a deterrent. But if we... If we reduce a woman down to something less than the incredible creation she is as the one who brings forward the next generation of people, if we reduce her down to merely an individual who was wronged, then, of course, all sorts of casualties are going to occur. What, what would be the difference for the woman who says, I'm fine, I'm pregnant, but I don't want to take this life. But she's constantly having recurring nightmares and everything. The child is born. She decides she's not placing the child. I'm going to raise the child. So six months down the road, she's a, this is just like horrible for her. Now, if you don't think that this is a true scenario, you just haven't dealt with rape victims. Many of them are haunted years down the road, many years down the road. I've dealt with 
with people who in their 30s have recalled a rape experience from high school and completely dismantle. Okay, but now you give them a child who's six months old. And and they've come to the conclusion, I don't want to go to the place. I don't want to be around the people. I don't want to be in that kind of a car. And I don't want this child. What what argument do you have that says that that child can't die? Or what, what argument can you have that's going to, to apply to life in the womb and yet say it doesn't apply to life outside of the womb? My point is this, and that is the argument that says that because a child is conceived through rape or incest, because the child was conceived in that way, that child must die. That same logical reasoning can be applied outside of the womb. It can be applied in other circumstances. And a lot of times people aren't thinking that. They just are thinking that somehow we could we could make the path easier. The reality is a violation is a violation. And, and destroying the child doesn't change the reality that the violation occurred. It, it's hard talk. It's different than dealing with this politically. I'm talking about just dealing with this on a very practical and also a theological way. Mm-hmm. Scripture would scripture would justify all sorts of punishment against the perpetrator, but not against the, the innocent victim. The idea that you you kill the child because of what, what the man did, couldn't that argument be made? Why don't we just kill the woman? I mean, when you think about it, she's the one who's, who's trying to alleviate the pain, the suffering. And, of course, that's crazy. Well, the reason it's crazy is for the same reason it's crazy that you don't kill the child. Both were lives created by God, sometimes created under horrible circumstances, but no less valuable, and Christ died for it. I think when you talk uh, about that, too, I do think of the biblical examples that Jeff gave and just how there were in those accounts of rape, and you mentioned this too, the aftermath did not go well. There were consequences for the the people that took on those actions and everything. And so when you kind of mention maybe like stiffer penalties for other people, I mean, it. I think maybe logically we do kind of go there. I think sometimes though these uh People like say these exceptions, like for rape and incest, because they they maybe want to start there with the abortion arguments. Okay, if we can get people to think that that those lives are okay to terminate, then maybe there's more kind of swing for for the other stuff too. I mean, I mean, that, to me, I think that's the pivot point. Really, is if we accept the fact that even in a normal pregnancy, that that life already exists at conception. Once you accept that as a premise, you don't take lightly taking any life. You don't take lightly taking the life of the perpetrator. You don't take lightly taking the life of the of the mother. You don't take lightly taking the life of the child. Why? Because life is in itself has an intrinsic value. It is valuable in and of itself, created by God and redeemed through Christ. And Whenever you can't hold up to a logical argument, people will invoke emotional arguments. And so they'll, they'll try to talk about how the woman's going to be victimized by these laws. And, and so they're, they're, they're going to appeal to emotion when in reality, let's, let's talk about what we're really arguing. I'm, I'm arguing that if a man rapes a woman and she gets pregnant, we have to kill the child. Let's call it what it is. We have to kill the child. 
Now, that argument would never fly because no one wants to talk that way. It does seem to be a very political type of argument, too. When we talk about these rape and incest exceptions, too, it's true, right? They don't really make up that many of the abortions. One to three percent. One to three percent of all abortions are for rape, incest, or the life of the mother. They, it's, it's a small percentage. But it, I, think, I think arguing for the exception reveals the underlying presupposition that they're trying to constantly force feed, and that is that it's something less than a human life that's in the womb. And that we categorically reject. Yeah. And, and you know, Bob's saying 1% to 3%. It's a problem we have with all abortion statistics is that we, we don't have the data it's because it, it is not reported consistently in the United States. Uh, and so it's hard to, to get it really hard and fast. But this is one case where we can make something of an argument from silence. If it were the case that abortions obtained for reasons of rape and incest was a high number, 10, 15, 20, 25 percent, we would hear no end of it. But precisely because we don't hear that from the the, the pro-abortion side, we can be pretty certain that uh, it, it's not that high a number. If the data were out there, they would be making a lot of use of it. And uh, since they're not, it's a reasonable assumption to say that they themselves know that this is a very small percentage, and they're just bringing it up as, as a distraction. And so... Why do then people bring it up? And why do some pro-lifers even kind of get caught in, in, in that as well? Well, on the side of abortion advocacy, it is strategically helpful to um, bring this up. It's a, a distraction in the first place from the, the, the basic issue of the life and humanity of the child within the womb. Going from the, the logical, the biological, you know, the, the moral issue there to, as, as Bob says, the, the strictly emotional. Nobody feels right about saying, oh, those, those girls, those women have to, have to bear those children. But it is also a distraction from the reality that most women seeking abortions are not seeking them because they are victims of some horrible crime committed against them, but are seeking them because uh, this is their choice uh, to uh, take the life of their child. It is a voluntary thing, and it is not a matter of victimhood. You know, one of the challenges that you have is you always have to begin with where people are. And not, not everyone thinks through the issue. They do think of it in terms of emotion. They get all worked up about it. I, I remember looking at some pictures after the Dobbs ruling on June 24th uh, of this year, 2022, that people were crying, that were arguing for abortion rights. For them, it was a, a big emotional thing about my rights, my body, that kind of stuff. We, we, we talk biologically and theologically that it's life, human life, of equal value. We're the... The ideological differences is they like to believe that it's a life. They'll grant that it's a life. We get that in other leading abortion rights advocates. They'll grant it's a life, but they'll grant that it's a disposable life. In other words, the mother's life takes precedent, and the mother's will takes precedent. And it, it's a horribly precarious argument. But let's, let's talk about it on a political level for a moment. What does a politician do? 
when he's being asked, you know, by a pro-life group in a questionnaire, do you accept abortion for the life of the mother and in cases of rape or incest? And so the candidate says, well, oh, yes, I would take that exception. Does that de facto make him not pro-life? Quite honestly, I think it makes him politically prudent because all of politics is really hinged on the role of compromise. And because people have so drifted away from an objective standard for truth and authority, because they only like science when it serves their purpose. So if biology says it's a human life, the same as you are a human life, uh, it's not a convenient truth. They want to ignore it. Then you have to take people where they're at. And so you might say, well, as a politician, I'm going to, I'll vote for that. If it, uh, but I still think it's a human life that gets taken, you know, when, when you have uh, abortion in the case of rape or incest, but I'll vote for the lives we can save now. And, and I think it's a valid position. Uh, and especially valid if you could still proclaim the truth that a life, that you're authorizing a life to be taken. And you keep getting that truth out there. And then hopefully in time you can revisit the issue. But don't think the other side's not doing the same thing. If we can convince you that abortion's okay in the case of rape and incest, give it enough time. And the same logic that says you can get rid of it because you don't want it should apply at any time during a pregnancy. So you've got to always continually proclaim the truth, but you have to be willing sometimes to, to take what life you can preserve and then start gearing up for the next battle. Yeah, I think sometimes, too, these arguments, there's a lot of passion behind them. People or Facebook posts of like, how dare you say that you would want me to carry my rapist child? And just very passionate and strong arguments. And sometimes, you know, even as a Christian, you kind of, you just, you don't really know what to say. Like, well, okay, yeah, I guess I want you to carry a rapist child. That doesn't sound loving. And and so, so sometimes I think as Christians, we just, we get almost like shell-shocked as to how we can respond to something like mm -hmm. that. What would your advice be to people that hear these arguments and think, yeah, okay, I don't really know what to say now. Based on how you just introduced that, I'd say one of the really important things is to be compassionate. Christians should have a corner on compassion you know, like nobody else. We have the most wonderful example in the world of Father giving having compassion on us, the Son having compassion on us, and that's what we show towards other people. So when we discuss these things, that should be first and foremost in our minds, that we don't want to come off as callous or, or anything like that. You know, if somebody says, my rapist, okay, well, maybe she actually was raped at some point. So we're not going to speak in a strictly clinical or academic sense. We're going to treat, treat her as somebody who may actually have, have experienced this thing. We're going to be sensitive to those kinds of things. But we can still be sensitive and uh, um, uh, and compassionate and and not cede the moral ground or the, or the logical ground. We can address it in the way that needs to. And, and like with so many arguments, you don't necessarily have to have the argument the, or finish the argument the same day it started. Uh, particularly if this is a friend or somebody, you can say, well, well let's come back to that some other time. You know, let's let's talk about about the other issues. It's also her child. Yes, it's the rapist child, but it's her child. Yeah. It's, it's horrible. I mean, as the father of daughters. Um, I, I would cringe at the whole concept, but 
it would also be my grandchild. And it it didn't happen the way I imagined it. It didn't happen the way God has, has wished for it to happen. But at the same time, God says, I'm going to still work it all out. But I like Jeff's comment about you don't have to accomplish all on the same day in the same argument. And and secondly, if you're trying to carry out an argument on Facebook, surrender. <laughs> I mean, it's just – but sometimes we get sucked into those. We get kind of drawn into it. you got to fight your righteous indignation, I think, sometimes. And you you got to accept that. And I will say anybody who's listening to this who makes a decision, I was raped and I was going to abort, but, but whoever talked to me convinced me to, to carry this. And, and I'm hating every moment of it, but I'm going to carry the pregnancy through. I can promise you I can find someone who will adopt your child. I can promise you there there are people out there. We They're constantly contacting us. And actually, since Dobbs was overturned, we, there's been an uptick in contacts. People sending us pictures of them, husband and wife, an old yeller, you know, <laughs> showing that, that they're the great family for it. And be careful not to opt to avoid what you imagine as nine months of misery and reminder to not add a fatality to it. You know, in other words, we'll get you through that. We will hold your hand. We will we will make go to the doctor's appointments with you. We will do those things. And if you don't wish to raise the child, then we will find someone who will adopt the child. So in other words, we're not going to leave you alone. I cannot remove the child from your womb and place him somewhere else so that he or she can continue to grow. That would end the child's life. But I can guarantee you that we will do everything we can. We will find a church community around you. We will find people who love you and will love your child. Yeah, I'm p- picking up on a few things that Bob Bob had said earlier. He, he had mentioned something earlier about you know recognizing the 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 woman is for for the value that she is. That it's, I think it's important to remember that 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 when a woman or or even a fairly young girl gets gets pregnant, you know, no matter how it happens, no matter how ugly you know the situation is, when she gets pregnant, her body is doing exactly what it was designed to do in a glorious, wonderful way. This is a gift from God to women that they can bear children, and the idea that getting an abortion or even forcing an abortion, will somehow kind of reset uh, things for her so that her body, her life, her soul will somehow go to back to to normal, whatever that might be. It, it, it's not true. It, it's actually doing the opposite. Um, it's, it's undoing what is natural, what the body is designed for. It's neither healthy, it's moral, nor, nor righteous. And um, if you're talking about this in terms of well this this girl this woman was 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 violated by this well are you suggesting then we should violate her a second time surgically go inside and remove something growing in here that that is supposed to be there in the sense that this is the way way things are designed that what her body is made for a, a precious gift of life that has been given to her or, or even, but the chemical abortion, giving her a drug that will force out of her something that that has been placed in inside her. That's that's a second violation. Um, why would the first one mean we have to do the second one? 
And um, it's it's not a bunch of men sitting around and being callous about women and, and who they are and, and their value and things like that. It, it's the opposite. Let's protect the value of a woman as, as God's special design and, and blessing. One of the problems, too, is procreation is a God-initiated event. God is the one who says that he gives life, he takes life. Anytime we, we assume God permits us to participate in the procreation process. What's interesting is there will be a couple who will say, we want children. We, we got married, been married for a year. We really want children now. So they are they, they will do what they call trying to have children. <laughs> and so they will try to have children, and they will try, and they will try. And obviously God is saying no. Okay. And then there's another couple who will say, you know, we weren't married. It was a one-night thing, and I got pregnant. Why, what's what's going on here? Is it just the action of people? There is one thing higher than the action of people, and that is the creator, the one who says, I, I give you life. And, and sometimes that life comes in the most unfortunate of circumstance. But even in the most unfortunate of circumstance, a decision to terminate the life is usurping God's authority the same way as the guy who who committed the rape usurped the authority. One other thing I want to say just concerning incest. In going on 35 years of doing this uh, work, I've dealt with more than my share of cases of incest. And like I think Jeff did a wonderful kind of intro to all this, and that is sometimes incest can be consensual. And my, my experience has been that a lot of times it was consensual, but kind of weird uh, consensual. In other words, it was a father coming in, beginning to play, the daughter kind of going along with it, or the stepdaughter, something like that, or siblings on occasion, or uncles, that kind of stuff. If you find yourself in an incestuous relationship where you've already done, uh, you know, it's already started, and you, you somehow need to step away from that because those situations never end well. They never end well. At, at some point, I have had some of these people call me facing the end of life where they either are suicidal. They all of a sudden find themselves as caregivers for the man who violated them in their old age and so forth. It's a relationship that is not condoned by God, and it is not good for you, and it's not good for the perpetrator. Put a stop to it now. I would strongly encourage you to Sit down with your pastor. If you're if you're listening to this, you don't have a church, go to the church, talk to the pastor, talk to a counselor. But it's the kind of thing like incest oftentimes is very different than rape, uh, in in my experience. Now they you can have incest that is rape, but a lot of times incest is almost more evil in a way in that it kind of kind of creeps into the relationship. As we kind of close up here. Is there anything else that would just maybe be important for Christians to consider when thinking about these exceptions or just responding to them? Well, just two quick thoughts. One is if if you're being challenged on this, you know, like, you know, you, you should make this exception or whatever, it, it can be tempting 
to uh, kind of say, well, let's let's find some common ground. And uh, okay, I'll I'll agree to your your uh, your exceptions for for rape and incest. You've got to be careful with that because it could very easily be turned around as, oh, so I guess you're saying that in some cases babies don't have a right to life. And you've got to be careful not to uh, not to seed that ground. You can be again compassionate, understanding. You can have the the political sense, as Bob was mentioning, of um, you know this is as far as we can get right now with the law, but we're we're not seeding the moral and logical ground here. But another thing, if you're being challenged, and this is more in a political or ideological sense uh, on this, sometimes it might be helpful to ask the other person, if I were to stipulate that abortion should be legal in cases of rape and incest. Would you then agree with me that an abortion in all other situations is uh, uh, immoral and should be illegal? And probably in most cases they're going to say, well, 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 no. Then you can follow up with, well, if that's the case, then why are we talking about these exceptional cases? Because that's otherwise it's just a distraction. And it really doesn't, you know, it's statistically, uh, it's not statistically significant. If you get into, and I'm talking more in terms, not a Facebook debate, I'm talking about more in terms of you get into a discussion over a cup of coffee with somebody on this issue, and they want to do the rape and incest exception, I I think I would, my argument would simply be, so if you encourage a woman to have an abortion in the case of rape or incest, because you're presuming it will make a, a bad situation better, if she decides not to follow through with your suggestion, not to have the abortion, but to bring the pregnancy to term. You you were willing to offer the suggestion to, to terminate the pregnancy. Are you stepping forward to help her live with her decision? Because it was her choice. And oftentimes they lock up in that because, again, when you're thinking emotionally and not logically, you you find yourself passionately riding a riding a horse that's going nowhere. You don't know where it's taking you, and and logic dictates that if your genuine concern is for the woman, you're going to be there. You're going to be there through it all. And the reality is is that the rape and incest argument is more times than not an ideological argument. And it and Jeff, I think Jeff's approach is great in that. You're going to find out that it's it's really the tip of the iceberg. They just feel that that unborn life is of a lesser quality and can be terminated any time. And they have no basis to support that argument other than that's the way they feel. Well, thank you both for this uh, discussion here today. And we thank all of our listeners too. And if there are any questions that uh, that you have as we've gone through this episode, please reach out to us. You can find us at lifechallenges.us. We look forward to seeing you back next time. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Life Challenges podcast from Christian Life Resources. Please consider subscribing to this podcast, giving us a review wherever you access it, and sharing it with friends. We're sure you have questions on today's topic or other life issues. Our goal is to help you through these tough topics, and we want you to know we're here to help. You can submit your questions as well as comments or suggestions for future episodes at lifechallenges.us or email us at podcast at christianliferesources.com. 
In addition to the podcasts, we include other valuable information at lifechallenges.us, so be sure to check it out. For more about our parent organization, please visit christianliferesources.com. May God give you wisdom, love, strength, and peace in Christ for every life challenge.